0: We meet today in Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs 22, verse 1 to verse 29. Solomon, who had everything that money could buy, puts material wealth in true perspective, the right perspective. In this chapter, we see the worth of a good name and the dependence of both rich and the poor on God. That is highlighted in verse 1 and verse 2. There are commendations of prudence, humility, piety, charity, and the perpetuation of children and the cautions against fraudness, iniquity, laziness, intimacy with bad women, and oppression. These are the highlights of verses 3 to verse 16. And then there is an address to the reader calling his attention to wisdom again exhorting him to avoid oppression, friendship with angry men, suretyship, and removing ancient landmarks, and showing the advantages of diligence. That's the theme of verse 17 to verse 29. Now here is Proverbs 22 verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, good in the Bible is actually initialized in most of the Bibles, particularly on this verse, which means that the translators supplied it. Otherwise, it should just read as, a name is to be chosen rather than great riches. The proverb is not speaking of the name you were called by your parents when you were born, but rather, The name you earn by the kind of person that you are. Some names are given to the people because of who you are. Someone can be called a righteous person, a holy person, a straight person because they live that way. Someone is called an excellent person because what they do, they do it excellently. But also on the other way, someone may be called even a pig or an animal, a dog, as characteristics of the person. We know that David actually had a group of men known as the Mighty Men, and they were great men. They had made a name for themselves. For example, we are told about Beniah in Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, verse. 20. Beniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a violent man from Kabazil, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. You see, a lot of people won't even go to church when it snows, but this man slew a lion in the time of snow. We are told in second Samuel chapter 23 verse 22 these things Beniah the son of Jehoiada did and won a name among three mighty men he was up there in a class with the top 3 of the highest echelon of David's mighty men he had a name you see my friend a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Proverbs 22, verse 2. Now, this means that before God, all men are on the same plane. We stand on the same footing before God. There is no one higher. There is no one lower. There is no one superior. There is no one inferior. Now, if you wanted to talk about a universal brotherhood of men, Be very careful what you say. The Bible doesn't teach universal brotherhood. The Bible, however, does teach that we are all members of the human family and that we all have a depraved nature, a nature that is alienated from God. We have need to protect ourselves from each other because we cannot be trusted. And the Bible says that, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the earth, on the face of the earth. That is in Acts chapter 17 verse 26. And we are all to stand equal before him on that basis. But we become the sons of God, not just because we are human beings. We become the sons of God because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said to the religious rulers of his day, You belong to your father, the devil. John 8 verse 44, meaning to say he divided the human race into two categories, those who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. So actually there are two families in the world, children of God and children of the devil. If you are not born again, it's not me who is saying it is Jesus Christ. You belong to your father, the devil. Obviously, the universal fatherhood of God does not exist when we look at this teaching. Now notice that the proverb says, The Lord is the maker of them all. Yes, we are all his by creation. God is the creator of all, but not the father of of all. That's what the word of God says here. We have not yet been begotten of him, but we become the children of God through placing our faith in Christ. John chapter 1 verse 12, but as for those who received him, he gave them the power to become children of God, children born, not Of the will of men, not of descent, nor by blood, but by God. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Proverbs 22, verse 3. Do you want to be a smart person, my friend? Then make arrangements for the future. There are many people today who will help you make arrangements for the future. There are all kinds of insurance companies and agencies. There are people willing to make arrangements for your old age, for the care of your children, and all that sort of a thing. But I am thinking of the next step. Further than that, my friend, what about the next step? What about your eternal future? The scripture calls a man a fool who has not made preparation for eternity. We used to sing the little chorus, where will you spend eternity? There is eternal hell and eternal life. Choose one between two. Where will you spend eternity? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22 verse 6. What is more crucial to parents than knowing how to rear their children? Traditionally, this verse has been interpreted as a promise to good parents that spiritual nature ultimately would assure their children of godly lives. If the promise is not fulfilled, the duty has not been performed. It is true that the Hebrew word for train comes from a root meaning – to put something into the mouth or to affect the taste. Now, a kindred Arabic word was used to describe the process of putting dead syrup into the mouth of a newborn baby to encourage sucking. Thus, training goes beyond teaching or imparting knowledge to include positive motivation as well as modeling godly behavior before the child. The same word is elsewhere translated, dedicate, especially in Deuteronomy 20 verse five, First Kings 8 verse 63. Thus this verse may emphasize the advantage of early training. It may be better, however, to understand the text as a warning to parents. The phrase, in the way he should go, is more literally according to his ways. In other words, the parent who continually allows a child to have his own way is laying a foundation for self-willed living, from which the child will not depart. This would explain a child who, under the influence of a godly home, chooses to attend to the things of the Lord, whereas in his adult years he tires of the spiritual life and willfully turns to the way of the world breaking the hearts of his parents and rejecting the training of his youth parents have an awesome responsibility to train and dedicate their children to go god's way via the road of discipline the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a servant to the lender Proverbs 22 verse 7 The author here depicts life as it is, alluding to the power of wealth and the bondage of indebtedness without approving or disapproving. The borrower seals his own fate by ignoring the divine commandment to own nothing to anybody. In Romans chapter 13 verse 8, except the debt of love. The state of indebtedness is not only a discouragement and a concern crushing the spirit of a man and opening him to heartbreak and disaster, but it is also a hindrance to his faith and dependence upon the Lord to meet his daily needs. The lazy man says, There is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the street. Proverbs 22 verse 13. Here we have the lazy man again. And this verse has its humor in it too. Believe me, the lazy man is full of excuses. He says it is too cold outside, so he cannot go out to plow. Here is his new excuse. There is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the street. I think he was lying even about the lion. It is a lame excuse. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The road of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22 verse 15. Now foolishness refers to poor behavior or the love of mischief. It is a natural thing to a child. To act according to his nature, he was born in sin according to David's confession, Psalm 51 verse 5. And under the direction of his own will, he will only go into mischief. The road of correction is God's own means to harness that self-will into submissive obedience to parents and to God himself. These instructions for child rearing are repeated here for emphasis. Children need discipline. Proper discipline will not provoke the child to anger. Neither will it be simply the venting of our own anger. Proper discipline will help the child overcome his foolishness. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Proverbs 22 verse 28 Now, when God brought the children of Israel from Egypt, he gave them the land. Sometimes we forget that he also gave to each tribe a particular section of that land. And he gave to each family in each tribe a particular parcel of that land. Each family was to put up boundary markers For their own parcel of land, these boundary markers were generally piles of stones. In this modern age, they suck deep concrete secured metal pegs into the soil at every major corner of the property. I actually have this at my house. These mark my stand, marking where it begins and where it ends. It was done to make sure that I stay within my own stand and not intrude into another person's property. Now God gave Israel definite rules regarding their markers. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in. In your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Deuteronomy 19 verse 14. So these markers went from generation to generation and they were very important. When a man got old and feeble and his eyesight began to fail him, his neighbor might want to slip over and move the marker a couple of feet to increase his own parcel of land. God said that kind of a thing was forbidden. It would be totally dishonest of cause. Now, I am going to make a spiritual application of this. I believe that today we have seen the landmarks of the Christian faith removed. They have been removed by what was first called modernism, and now is called liberalism. These people with a liberal viewpoint uh, to the worship of God and even to the Bible, they say this old landmark, this doctrine that was taught in the days of the Apostle Paul is no longer relevant. We have learned so much that we don't need the doctrine of the plenary inspiration of the Spirit of God. We have gone to school. We no longer need to be told that the Bible has absolutes. We also can come up with absolutes. We can do away with the biblical absolutes. And we can do away with the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Are there no other gods? That is their arguments. These distinguishing doctrines of the Christian faith have been pretty well washed out by many people of the old line denominations on the basis that we must come up to date. Now, I want to say this to you, my friend. Instead of moving forward and removing landmarks, we need to start moving backward to get back to many of the ancient landmarks as far as the teaching of the word of God is concerned. I agree with the songwriter who said, Give me that old time religion. It is good enough for me. If it was good for Peter, if it was good for Paul, it is good enough for me those ancient landmarks made many nations great the landmarks of moral values the spiritual truths the biblical basis all have been removed we look around us today and hear people everywhere telling what he thinks the solution to the problems of the world is and it is always a sociological or a psychological solution I haven't had any of our leaders today suggesting a biblical solution. Where are you, leaders of Africa? Turn to God. I say that we need to get back to the good old biblical landmarks. You see, this chapter concludes with a word of commendation for the man who is diligent, who is a hard worker. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before a known man. Proverbs 22 verse 29. God says that he intends to reward the diligent person. You remember that the Lord Jesus said that in eternity his commendation would be, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25 verse 21. His commendation will not be based on the amount of work you have done or on the number of people to whom you have witnessed or how hard you have worked, but on how faithful you have been to the task he has given you. He may have given you the task of being a mother to a little one in your home. Moses' mother was faithful in that way, and her name is recorded in the word of God for that. The reward will be for faithfulness. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10 to 11. Be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You see, my friend, it all adds up to being faithful to God, and that is what we should be. In the recent years, numerous books have been written extolling the value of quality and excellence in the workplace. By and large, these studies have been based on the premise that quality work doesn't just lead to higher profits, it is a condition for staying in business today. The emphasis on excellence has had major repercussions in the corporate world where many managers and employees have embraced it as a new way of doing business. Yet the theme of excellence in work is as old as the Bible. In fact, quality is one of the keys to biblical view of work. Let me highlight some of the things in the Word of God. God does His work with excellence. When He created the world, The end result was, it was very good according to Genesis 1 verse 31. Then God equips his people with specific skills and abilities that fit them for certain kinds of work so that they execute them with excellence. We see that uh, even in those who were responsible for putting up the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 31 verse 1 to 11. Psalm 33 verse 15. God wants us to use our skills for their intended purposes, thereby serving him with all our mind and might, according to Matthew 22 verse 37 and 38. Christians are to do their work as if Christ himself were evaluating the effort because he is, in any case, he is evaluating everything that we do. Ephesians 6 verse 5 to verse 8. Colossians 3 verse 22 to 24 talks about the attitude of workers not to be men pleasers but pleasing the master in heaven. Finally Christians are commanded to be well pleasing in all things. That means in their work because doing so makes the gospel of Christ attractive to co-workers and customers alike. Titus 2 Verse 9 to verse 10. Now, in the light of these principles, ask yourself what kind of quality and craftsmanship you put into your work. Would God be pleased with how you do your job today? Would He be pleased with the end product of your service? Are you proud of the way you do your job? If not, how would you make improvements today? Because God requires quality. God bless you You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen for your copies please send an email to info org. please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you info at twrafrica.org